Outside the Tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. That's Joe. I'm Joe. I get to talk once in a while. Oh, please. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're about to interview a guy who sells air. That's right. And a lot of it. So what did you say to me before we started? I said, would you stand two feet back? Oh, no, but we don't want anyone to Because he didn't want my pink shorts to be (laughs) in the YouTube version of this episode. Coming from the guy that's wearing a pink shirt. This is light pink. This it's is salmon. It's uh, pink. Okay. Salmon. Okay. Well, I'm wearing so pink shorts. I don't care. Hot pink so shorts. this was the debate. If I stand next to you, then I look a lot taller than you. But if I stand back here, then I have pink shorts, bright pink shorts on. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do both. I don't care. You're going to see my pink shorts and I'm going to stand next to you. All right. Rob Nooner, Boost Oxygen. Season 11, episode 2, air date of 10-6-19. To your point, he sells air. Portable can of oxygen. Aluminum canisters. Goes in asking a million dollars for 5%. That's a $20 million valuation. So Rob's probably doing something right. (laughs) Um, 6.4 million uh, year to date going into the tank. So that was 2019. Um, you get 200 inhales per can. So he has, he, walk he, us, has, yeah. he has 95% of the market. Okay. He's corner of the market on air. So, so what happened? So he had, uh, he had an offer. There were some folks who um, they thought that his product would take more education uh, that they were willing to hang in there with. And, and maybe, maybe they're right. However, Mr. Wonderful did have an offer. He kind of came in at the end, and he made an offer. They countered back and forth, and he accepted Mr. Wonderful's offer, Kevin's offer. So they got a deal. So we got a lot to cover, a lot that's happened since. Uh, interesting deal. There was uh, some interest. There was some equity. There was a loan. But Kevin gets the deal. So uh, let's jump yeah. right into our interview with Rob. You're going to like this guy. <laughs> All right, we're here with Rob from Boost Oxygen. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being by. Well, we're so excited to talk to you. And, you know, you didn't cover this much on the pitch, so I'm really curious, where did the idea from the business originally come from? Uh, so, curious about the Czech Republic in Europe. Uh, I used to do a lot of business over there uh, back in the 1990s and uh, importing beer from the Czech Republic. And they had these oxygen canisters all over the place in, in the Czech Republic. Uh, my good friend goes to Germany still uh, quite a bit, and there are a lot of oxygen cans over there as well uh, for jet lag and energy. Uh, so uh, we were former football players in high school and college, and we uh, knew what 
professional football players use that at something last year on the sidelines. And my friend's father was a big uh, executive in the aerosol industry. So uh, he sort of helped, took our hands and uh, led us to the suppliers and got us started. And give us a sense of the timeline. We're always curious. So from the time you had the idea to the time you had a product to sell in the market, how long did that take? And, and what all went into that process? Right, good question. So when we saw the Czech Republic, they had these oxygen cans. They did not have a mask. They had a mask that was detachable. You had to use two hands to use it. I thought that was impractical. We should have a one-handed mask, one-handed one use. So we had to design that. So we incorporated the idea in 2007. We came out with the product in 2008. Uh, we were stopped in 2009 by the Department of Transportation. You said that we were in a non-compliant can to transport oxygen in. And we started again in 2010 with a compliant can with a new special permit and then and have gone since then. So you so, guys are an overnight success. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, we started out slowly. You know, again, curiously enough, we started out in sporting goods because that's where we sort of had our background from. But we quickly learned that the altitude market was the number one market uh, for our product. So we kind of shifted a little bit there. We still do sporting goods. It does great in sporting goods, but the altitude market, you know, people go to the Rocky Mountains, they have epoxy, they're, 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 uh, they know that what they're lacking is oxygen. So they see an oxygen can, it's a, it's a pretty quick fix. So walk us through how that works for, for an entrepreneur. So you went in with certain assumptions or thoughts in terms of who would buy the product, who the use cases would be, and then right. through customer data or anecdotally or whatever it was, you learned that, oh, there's actually better and bigger uses for this elsewhere. Right, right. So it was sporting goods. So we actually, we landed our big account with Sports Authority, and they had a couple of stores in Avon, Colorado, and we got the data on, on a monthly basis, and we saw the, the big stores were Avon, uh, Denver, they did very well. So we went out and, and did some market research uh, and found that there was a huge demand to talk to the store managers. And it's like, oh, yeah, people are using it for sports, but they're also using it for altitude. And uh, that's, that was kind of the progression where we went. But then actually, then now the progression has kind of moved away, not away from that. We do super well in the Rocky Mountain region uh, and, and are, uh, really enjoy our, our customers and our retailers out there. And we're growing. Uh, but we're actually getting more demand now from people who visited Rocky Mountain regions and gone back to Florida, California, or Texas. And say, hey, you know, I, I have epoxia elsewhere. And so they're using us for other reasons at, you know, at non-altitude locations. And so at the time of airing, you were not in retail, but were interested in retail. So are you now in retail? When did that happen? How did that happen? Yeah, so we were, we were always in retail uh, before sort of the advent of the internet back in 2007. We, uh, we started out in Sports Authority. We started out in a bunch of other retailers. Uh, mom and pop shops, uh, independent pharmacies, ski shops, that type of thing. Uh, so we've grown since then. We've gotten into big box, uh, more uh, bigger retailers like Walgreens and CVS and Walmart. And uh, so that's that's been the progression there. We started out slowly uh, and with individual mom and pops. We, we still are in the mom and pops. We love them. And from that, we've, we've grown into uh, the, the larger retailers. What's the mix of today? What's the mix of retail to e-commerce? Uh, today, it's around 55% e-commerce. 
okay. which uh, basically pivoted almost with COVID. We were about, we were around 30, 35% e-commerce uh, and that jumped with COVID up to six, almost 60%, more like 55% today. At time of uh, taping, you mentioned that uh, Boost Oxygen had 95% of the domestic market. Can you tell us a little about that? Because that's a shocking figure. Was there just no one in your space? Is it different now? Yeah, uh, no, there, there are a few other smaller competitors. They, they try to copy what we do. They always have. Uh, they, because we've had larger scale distribution in the larger big box stores, we have 95% uh, market share based on uh, you know, what our sales are versus them. It's, it's, it's a guesstimate, estimate, but you know, with our, with our distribution uh, and knowing what their distribution is, that's a pretty accurate figure. The, uh, and then also with other online analytical tools like Helium, you were able to show what we sell in the oxygen can uh, marketplace on Amazon, and we're always up around 95% as well. So that's a, it's, it's a pretty accurate number. And how did you end up on Shark Tank? Uh, good question. So you know, we got they reached out to us. We didn't um, we didn't we had to apply, but we weren't thinking about it. You know, ever since we started the business, people were like, "Oh, you should watch Shark Tank." It seems it's a great platform to get your message out. And I was always leery of it because you know, you, you, you watch the show, and a lot of people get just slammed on it. Yeah. Uh, so we we're like, "Well, you know, we're doing well. Uh, we don't need the money. We're profitable." Uh, we were growing, but we thought that it going up against the sharks was sort of a validation of, of our business model and of our, and of our, our product. So, yeah, we, we decided. So they reached out. So would you be interested? And it's like, well, we, we discussed it internally and decided, yeah, we sure will be interested. So we applied. We got accepted. And uh, one thing led to another. But you know, like I said, like even if you get accepted, you're not even guaranteed of getting aired. Uh, so it was it was a, it was a process. Yeah, it's kind of a long road. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. It was really fun. And so you aired October of 2019. Tell us about those first couple days and weeks after airing. What changed for the business? You know, you know we were curious. We were expecting a bigger bump. And I, I think you saw the the, uh, the clip of, of us on. You know, we sort of got condensed down to seven minutes. We pitched for an hour. And we had a, we had a great time. They don't tell you what the hell it's going to be when, when the show starts. And uh, so we were kind of uh, not disappointed, but uh, surprised that we got condensed down to seven minutes. So we were kind of, we didn't get the bump that we were expecting. We still got a bump uh, and you know, a lot of, lot more eyeballs and uh, that, that was great. So the, the days after Shark Tank, we were definitely busier, but we were definitely prepared for it. But I think we were over-prepared for it. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was quite an experience. So... Obviously, as an entrepreneur, you know, it's easy to look at your business and go, you have 95% market share, you've got these great margins, you're in all these big box retailers. So this must be really easy and you must have no challenges at all. But <laughs> let's, let's peel the onion back a little bit here. And, and what are some of the challenges uh, that you face? What are some of the difficulties that, um, you know, you're constantly dealing with in your business? Yeah, the biggest, that's a great question. The, the, the biggest uh, comment we get from people who sort of don't know is that we're selling air. Uh, they don't, you know, oxygen, oh, I get that for free. It's like, well, you do get it for free. It's 21% oxygen in the air. It's mostly 78% nitrogen, which doesn't do anything for you. Uh, and that condensed, purified uh, oxygen uh, has efficacy. 
And you know, they used it that the reason why they use it in hospitals and ambulances and police cars and fire trucks is because having purified supplemental oxygen uh, is, is helpful in a lot of ways. And actually it's very safe. So that's the biggest thing. We get like, oh, you know, Perrier or O'Hare Air or <laughs> you're, you're selling air. You're, you're, this is a scam. That's been the biggest thing. Like I tell people, say, listen, if, you, if you're epoxic and you know, you're short of breath, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I, I think you'd want purified oxygen on hand as opposed to not. Uh, you know, it's like I say, it's not a panacea, but it's you know definitely helps in, in a lot of different purposes. So I'm not I'm not walking into sports authority saying I need some sneakers and some oxygen today. So <laughs> how did how, you know, especially early on, but even today, how do you market the product? Where how are you telling people about this and, and through what channels? Yeah, so uh, the biggest way we try to tell people about it was, was social. We do a lot of social media marketing and, and all that stuff. But uh, at retail, we like to be up at checkout. Very few people go into a pharmacy or a sporting goods place looking for oxygen. Uh, even like, even in the Colorado Rockies, they, they, they go and they're looking for hand warmers or whatever. Uh, and they see oxygen. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I can, I'm not feeling that well because of whatever. Or I've seen, you know, Von Miller use oxygen on the sidelines, I can benefit from that as well. So we try to be up by checkout as much as we can. And a lot of different retailers have put that sort of maze uh, before you get to the, uh, the cash registers. And that's where we try to be because, and we have nice point of sale. It's you know, got oxygen or oxygen to go uh, to connect the dots with people uh, graphically as to what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think that Rohan, uh, during the taping, he made a comment that he was concerned you're trying to educate people about a product they or a problem they don't know they have. So messaging and product placement is pretty darn important, isn't it? Yeah, that was that was the most important. I I thought he was dead wrong. I mean, people don't. Uh, it's like people don't know they have this problem. Well, if they're ever hungover, if they're ever short of breath, if they're not feeling well, there's a lot of times where they're epoxic. Uh, I was going to ask you about hangovers because my partner Tom often comes in on a Monday morning with a hangover. So oxygen. <laughs> yeah. So if you go to Las Vegas, they have those oxygen bars. Uh, when you drink a lot of alcohol, um, the, uh, the metabolizing function in your blood is oxygen. It takes the two molecules of oxygen to metabolize one molecule of alcohol. So, and your brain and your liver are actually the two largest consumers of oxygen that your body has. The brain takes 20% of your oxygen intake. The liver takes 21%. So you're, if you're hungover, you're hypoxic. Uh, and I tell people like, well, uh, what do you mean by that? So well, if you have two beers or three beers, no one's going out for a 10 mile run. <laughs> because you become out of breath after your first hundred yards because you're hypoxic. Uh, you know, you, you've lost the oxygen in your blood, so uh, you, you wouldn't do that. So, yes, that's that's what we, we, we try to educate a little bit. People like the, the biggest comparison is the oxygen bar in Las Vegas. People uh, swear by them. Uh, the, you know, the Royal Air Force back in World War II used to use oxygen uh, before they went up to fight the Luftwaffe uh, after they have had a few beers and four pints. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, it, the oxygen really helps if you've had alcohol. And see, I was going to ask you, my business partner, Joe here, he walks back and forth to the kitchen <laughs> so much throughout the day that he often comes back with a shortness of breath. So 
would, would you be able to help him with that? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you've got a problem with it, you know, it's I say go to a doctor. But if you know, if you want just to feel better during uh, for whatever reason, uh, was, then, yeah, it helps. How's the business different than it was when you went on the show? Obviously, you pitched probably early 2019. Are there new cues? Are there anything else that you're doing or that's on the docket? Or is it pretty much what we saw on television? Yeah, pretty much what we saw on television. We added a new uh, pocket size. Our pocket size was a two-liter can. I've got one over there. But the um, uh, what people were saying about the two-liter can just wasn't enough oxygen. It just went too quickly. Uh, so we went to our manufacturer and said, could you build us? Because we like the size. We're restricted to what they call a two-Q can, which is an aluminum can. That's what we have to use uh, for the Department of Transportation. We can't use steel. And we, uh, but we can use a strong, so we went to our manufacturers, like, could you build us the same size can roughly, but stronger, like two times the strength. Uh, and we could put almost twice the amount of oxygen in there because the can can hold it. And they did. So we have, a, now we have a 50 bar can that holds three liters of oxygen and we're using a little uh, mask and we're just introducing that now. So that's uh, rolling out presently. We have uh, other uh, aromas coming down the pike and uh, we're starting actually manufacturing here in Milford. Uh, we have our own uh, manufacturing line. So we're starting to do a little bit more private labeling uh, for like weddings and things. So we're, uh, we're really kind of, we're firing on all cylinders. So now you manufacture everything in your own facility. Not everything, no. So we do use contract fillers as well. We pivoted towards manufacturing here because of the pandemic. A lot of the aerosol fillers that we're using as our contract fillers shifted to uh, uh, disinfectants, Lysol-type products. So we lost a lot of line time. <laughs> as, as our demand was spiking, our, our, uh, our supply shrank. Uh, shrunk. So we, we made some major, major investments in uh, vertically integrating and with our own aerosol filling line here in Milford. Now, what's the vision for this thing? Three to five years from now, where do you see the business? Uh, I see us being in every pharmacy, I think, across the country and even around the world. Uh, I see us, uh, you know, being uh, something that people would rely on a little bit more. It's sort of like, you know, cough syrup. You know, if if you're sick, you're just going to know, hey, let me grab some oxygen because I'm going to feel better. Uh, you know, not that it's going to cure anything, but it's, it's going to help you feel better. You don't have to suffer through a lot of your maladies. And uh, yeah, I, that's where I got, that's kind of what we foresee in, in pharmacy. Uh, definitely in sporting goods. I think it'll, we have a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot of colleges use us, a lot of the Atlanta Falcons use us, a lot of pro uh, hockey teams use us. So I, I think, you know, more people will say, hey, listen, well, why should I be out of breath? Why should I be sucking wind on the field or having to come out for a timeout? I think we'll become more of a staple like Gatorade on, on sidelines of a major aerobic sports. Are there any use cases around first aid or, hey, it's good to have one of these at a Little League game just in case? Yeah, you know, we get sort of into the – we're not a medical product. We're not, we're not regulated by the FDA, so we can't really say. But, uh, you know, oxygen uh, has a lot of benefits uh, for people, again, who are winded, uh, you know, if, and, and a lot of other issues uh, that, that might arise from, um, you know, uh, an injury or, or uh, somehow – Think of the right, the right word, just an epoxic situation. So, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see it. You know, I, I, I tease people as well. You know, uh, if there's a fire in your house, would you want to be one of these things by your bedside table? 
So of course, it can, it can do nothing but help. It's not going to save you. It's not a life-saving device, but you know, is it, you know, it's like a wet towel. Is it going to help you get out of the house without smoke inhalation? And the answer is yes. And I imagine that you've probably fielded some unsolicited offers or kicking the tires on you in terms of acquisition. That, that, okay. I mean, I, I'd imagine people either strategically or just looking at the business in general have definitely said, Hey, is there a, is there a number that you'd consider? Tell us a little bit about that. Have, have some calls come in and do they interest you? Do they not interest you? Just curious about that. Yeah, no, we've had multiple calls more so since the shark tank. And, you know, we're, we're in such a ramping up phase. And like I said, we've always been profitable, you know, but you know, profitable in, in varying degrees. So, you know, we have no debt. We have, uh, we're profitable. We're growing leaps and bounds and, I don't see ourselves being a viable takeover or acquisition company, uh, you know, for the next couple of years, at least. Uh, yeah, you never know. <laughs> if Unilever came knocking on our door tomorrow and wanted to throw a pile of cash, we would be uh, amenable. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, there, there could be a ridiculous multiple that would uh, make you smile and, and – uh, Thank you. Accept the check, but I'm also curious about the 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 team. You don't get to where you've gotten to alone. Can you share with those that are listening about the formation of your team? What you've learned as you built internal and external partners along the way? Yeah, so I can say for my internal team, uh, you know, we really started ramping up with the hiring after Shark Tank, uh, and even before Shark Tank. Now, the, the biggest and then best to hire for uh, friendship that I've had. This is our COO, Mike Grice. Uh, he came on board. I knew him from a nonprofit organization that we're still involved in, uh, MVP Vets. And he was the CEO of that. Uh, he wanted to segue. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Marines, a 30-year uh, veteran. And he wanted to segue into the private sector. And uh, from my experience with him as, as the CEO of MVP Vets, we, we welcomed him with open arms. And he's been fantastic. He's, he's brought a rigor, uh, discipline, and uh, a vision uh, to the operation of the company, which, is, which has been immeasurable. So he's been a great hire. And then every once since then, uh, I've, I've hired old friends from high school. Uh, Alberto Muscaro is uh, my, my good old friend from uh, Burton Catholic in New Jersey. And uh, he's the director of sales. He's done a great job. Uh, one of the best hires we had was Elle Westfall. Uh, she's our director of Rocky Mountain Sales. Uh, and she is, uh, she goes gangbusters on the whole, uh, she's a great salesperson. Uh, she's got a vision for the company as well that, that we all share. And she's done a wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, and then all the support staff we had here, everyone works on the line, all, all the office people, all my uh, bookkeeper, Jackie Honick is terrific. And uh, we have a new CFO, Rob Van Meldergem, who's on it. And Candice Roderski, she does our systems administration, we just transferred over to NetSuite, which from quick books, I've heard of stories, but um, they're all true. <laughs> it's a great, uh, it's a great system, but it's it's been a um, you know like pulling teeth in terms of getting it up and running. Uh, but that's that's been fantastic, and uh, yeah. So, but great salespeople in the field. We're we're, we're hiring most more salespeople now uh, to cover different parts of the country. But we've been very, very fortunate. Like you know, you know hiring, hiring good people, motivated people, uh, people of integrity. That you know, and uh, has been the, the the biggest blessing we've had as a company. What are there some uh, characteristics, traits, uh, values you look for and you you dig for in the interview process and attraction 
Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's good. So uh, you can't see the sign, but pride, integrity, respect are the three hallmarks of working for Boost Oxygen. Uh, you need to have pride uh, in yourself and uh, what you do. Uh, you need integrity. Uh, you, you know, make sure you're doing the right thing even when no one's looking. Uh, and respect, respect for everything, uh, your, your co-workers, uh, your environment, uh, everything uh, that you come into contact with. So pride, integrity, and respect the first three things are the primary three things we look for any employee that works here. As you look at your entrepreneurial journey and everything you've learned in a decade or so of doing this now, what are some of the mistakes that you made along the way that you learned from? And, you know, that's a great question, too. The, the, the biggest mistake, well, I wouldn't even call it a mistake. It's just we always kind of went slowly and surely. Like, we, you know, we've never wanted to risk too much. Uh, I, I think we would be at this point a lot earlier if we had just sort of risked a little bit more in the beginning. Um, but we were a little unsure of the demand, how would we be accepted, whether or not people would, would buy into our concept. So it, going back on, on the years, you know, I, I would have invested a lot more, maybe taken a, a lot more debt early on. And... Uh, and ramp this up, ramp this up a lot sooner, uh, knowing what I know now. So, is it safe to say that your approach was let's not risk too much, let's not over leverage ourselves, let's prove the concept out, let's you know kind of block and tackle along the way? That's kind of the approach you took versus I'm going to put everything into this and we're going to move at lightning speed and hope it works. Yeah, no, we definitely bootstrapped it. We had, you know, I was paying like a 5,000 square foot warehouse in Bridgeport at $2 a square foot, you know, in, in, right in the middle of the city. For five years we were there, you know, just getting started. And, you know, we didn't have to be there. We could afford a much nicer place like we have now. But again, we just were very, very cautious as to what we were spending on a daily basis. And uh, I guess it served, it served as well. I it built up a, a definitely a, a little bit of an armor of, of how we view the dollar coming in and going out, you know, every dollar matters and every can matters. Uh, but yeah, just knowing what we know now, like should have bet a little bit more earlier. And tell us about, you know, an average week or month for you, you know, cause obviously now you've got a team and you've got resources, so you're not doing everything, but yeah. where, you know, where is your energy spent as the head of the organization? And I guess of all the, areas of being an entrepreneur, a CEO, an owner, where do you get the most energy and feel you're of most value to the business? Uh, also a great question. So I try to <laughs> try uh, to understand every single asset, aspect of the business. So I, I know how to make uh, manufacture cans on the line. I've done it. I, I know what my, the financials are. I know people are doing the marketing. Uh, we've got uh, two great content people. Bill Banks uh, does all of our contacts. So I, I know Whatever, first thing I do when I come in the morning is I visit everyone. I go, I go to the manufacturing, go to the uh, finance, I go to uh, the operations, and I truly understand what everyone is doing. We have weekly calls with the, with the entire team. I know what everyone is working on. Uh, so that I, I, I really, I, I'm very hands-on. I, I really know what everything is going on from financial to legal to uh, operations. Uh, I would say the what I get most jazz about there's things like this marketing the company talking about the company and uh, promoting the company so I, I really that's you know I mean you, I guess the, the adage is 
you, you do what you want to do first and the things you don't want to do last. It's really hard to say, oh, I really need to do things I don't want to do, kind of push them up to the top of the to-do list, uh, which is always a struggle because, you know, when I come in the morning, I, I want to work on a new point of sale. I want to work on a new campaign, uh, on, uh, on a new radio commercial. That's what kind of gets me jazzed. So the, that's interesting about being hands-on because it would be easy for someone in your situation to say, look, I'll, you know, work with the sales team because I'm a sales guy at heart, but I don't enjoy the stuff that happens in the warehouse and I don't really understand it. And, and, and my fear would be, well, things could be happening that you weren't aware of. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear is you are hands-on, you know everything going on, which allows you to build a relationship with everyone in the organization, certainly not act like you're above any person or any part of it. And if something is wrong, you're probably going to figure it out a heck of a lot faster than if you were tucked away in the corner office and not being hands-on. Is that fair? Uh, you know, it's definitely true. You know, the, the biggest thing is it, convincing people to take ownership in their, of their jobs. Uh, so a lot of people would come into work and, okay, I, this is my job. I'm going to work nine to five. And there are people like that, and, and God bless them. Uh, but, you know, as a small company, and we're still less than 25 people, large um, or small, you need everyone, you know, from someone who's filling a can of, of oxygen uh, to someone who's, who's billing uh, the customer to care. They, just, they have to take ownership of what they do. Uh, and, you know, they will take ownership of their jobs, especially at this point of the, of the company, if they see that the CEO also has a, has a, 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 a massive stake in what they're doing. So, you know, again, it's a reciprocal relationship. I, I, everything I put into with people, I get back tenfold, which is, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, you, just as a hands-on person, you got to know, you have to understand everything uh, that's going on. I'll be, I will confess the only thing I don't understand. I can read reports, but I still don't know how to operate the NetSuite program. And uh, <laughs> so that's, you know, I, I, I like, I, I know I, the financials are right and, and, and the sales figures are right and everything else, which is great. Um, but if you ask me to, to make a how to make a report, uh, that's that's the next step. They're, they're all telling you, everyone's telling you, Rob, stay away. Don't push any buttons in that program. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Read only. Just don't 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 touch the computer. Um, but it's yeah. Eventually, when you know when it comes down, when we're completely uh, up to stuff with NetSuite, I'll I'll learn how to use that too. But but otherwise, yeah. No, I uh, we're I'm, I'm I'm very hands on and I, and I enjoy it. So it's it's a, it's a it's a fun it's a fun time in the business. So I I see it this way. I see Rob that you're connected with almost every piece of the table of organization inside of Boost Oxygen. And because they see you caring and being connected, they care. They care more than they would if you walked into your office with your head down, closed your door, and then left at five without making an appearance on the line all day. Yeah, that's the first thing I did. When we moved into this office here in Milford, I had an office and was uh, I blew out the wall, made a big picture uh, window, which slides open all day. So my door is always open so I can always see and talk at, at a moment's notice to anyone. It's important, I think. And you guys yeah. know that too. Love it. Now, this is this is fantastic. We're we're so happy for your success. And, you know, it's it's going to be fun to watch you continue. Last question is, you know, you mentioned being, you know, active as a company on social media. So where can folks that are listening find you on social media? And then how and where can they buy the product? Uh, so, yeah, just a regular hashtag boost oxygen or boost O2 uh, on the Instagram and, and Facebook platforms. 
And uh, you know, we're we have a store locator on our website, and we also have a learning center on our website. So just go into boostoxygen.com, store locator, type in your zip code, and show you know, Walgreens or CVS or a local uh, merchant will come on. Will should come up. Uh, if not, we're on Amazon. We're Prime, which is great. We have uh, partnerships that deliver Prime within two days. If people want auction, they kind of usually want it now. <laughs> they don't want it a week from now. Uh, so you, you can usually get auction pretty readily uh, in your local area. Awesome. Well, Rob, we, we so appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy. So thanks for joining us. And uh, I know everyone listening to this will really enjoy it. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. All right, we're back. Great interview with Rob. Dude's killing it. Ton of great lessons. What do you have for us? Yeah, for a guy that sells air, he was not full of hot air. He was actually full of some good, great takeaways. How long have you been waiting to say that one? <laughs> three minutes. Okay. I just thought it up three minutes ago. <laughs> but he had a lot of great things to say. I took some notes. And I was I was impressed. He, he First and foremost, I think he went onto the show for the right reasons. He had the right expectations. Um, you know, he, he put himself out there. He thought it would be a great piece of exposure for the uh, company. Whether he got a deal or not, I'm not sure he really cared. He did wind up with a deal, but he went into the Shark Tank for the right reasons. The other thing I was impressed by is he, he really isn't carrying any debt. Uh, he really has run a mean and lean operation. And we have one of the notes I had, ideal company, no debt, great margins, little competition. Yeah. So I mean, get into a business with no debt, uh, have great margins, and uh, make sure there's little competition. Nice. It should be easy to find. This guy, yeah, this guy is doing a lot right. But we like it when people don't go out and do big raises and, and or uh, borrow a lot of money. Uh, before they've proven their concept and become at least marginally profitable. You don't like that. And that doesn't mean that we're right. It just means that I think you and I both share that philosophy of be gritty, bootstrap if you can, make a few bucks selling something to people that like what you're selling, prove the concept, figure it out. And if a situation comes where you do need money for equipment or for inventory uh, or for space or whatever else, make sure that you're really confident doing that. So yeah. prove out the concept first. And I think we see a lot of people, and, and frankly, it surprises me that they're able to raise money, but they haven't <laughs> proven the concept. No. I'd argue they don't even know what the concept is. And as we've written about in our book together, they've decimated, they in some cases, they've really destroyed their capitalization table, which is not a great thing. Yep. So now on that point, though, one of the things he said, I took a very careful note, he actually wishes he would have taken more risk uh-huh. yeah. um, and extended himself. Didn't risk bit. enough and uh, moved too slowly, is what yeah. he said. And uh, so it's interesting that that's his perception on the back end now. Uh, he would have taken more risk. He might have created just a little more debt. So that was an interesting perception. I like his values. His values are pride and integrity, respect. He really, he really implores the team. He really builds a culture around pride, integrity, and respect. And Puts it on the wall, yep. uses it in hiring. But and also, don't put buzzwords on the wall just to do it. But if you're going to do it, make sure it means something. And clearly those words mean something to him. And clearly he evaluates every potential employee against those, which is a really great best practice. I, I think Rob lives these things, yeah. not just 
paints them on the wall. Now, should the, we paint some words on the wall? <laughs> what words do you want to paint? We don't, you, you we don't, don't own this place. We lease this place. I'm not sure we need to you, you know what the problem would be? What? Because I'd come in on Monday, there'd be there'd be too many words. Yeah. <laughs> you, you wouldn't you wouldn't I couldn't narrow it down to just three things. There's no. there's thirty different words. Those are in parentheses, there's other words and plus signs <laughs> and underlines. So those in order that are just starting to follow us, I am the verbose partner. And he is, uh, uh, Tom is very, he has a great economy with the English language. I can, I can talk <laughs> with the best of them, but I, I am a little more efficient in my words, in my written words. I'm a, I'm a long form author, so I get chopped down a lot, which is okay. But one of the things he, he talked about that I also value highly, and I know you do too, is he tries to understand every aspect of the business. He doesn't yeah. try to become a... Uh, uh, an expert in area in every area or perfectionist, but he, he tries to have a good root understanding of every area of the business. And the way he does that is first thing in the morning, he walks out onto the floor and he visits, he tries to connect with um, every different division within his company. And so this makes it so his people care because they know he cares. Yeah. And I think that's a huge, huge uh, it's not a ploy on his part. He sincerely wants to touch base every morning with his business and get a feel for what resources are needed, what's going right, what's going wrong. I think it's a great practice. Yeah, and when I mean, when we're working with entrepreneurs, the interesting thing is at the very beginning, and we break everything down to 10 core areas of running and, and owning and operating a business, and when you're initially starting out, you have to learn those 10 things and you have to cover your bases on those 10 things and you either have to do those 10 things or outsource those 10 things to a solo person or a freelancer or an employee or someone that can handle them. So initially, you're, you you got to understand and learn them. But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, in, in uh, this case, there's 25 employees, but there might be 2,500 employees. Then the challenge becomes okay, we're doing all of those things and we have people in all of those areas, but I need to figure out a way to carve out time, which Rob's done. I need to figure out a way to carve out time to go to those different areas, silos, departments, whatever you want to call them, and understand what the hell's going on. You know, are we being efficient? Are we being smart? Is something being, uh, you know, falling through the cracks that I'm not even aware of? So at the beginning, you have to learn what those are and you have to, you know, assign your name to all of them, right? Okay, and then over time it becomes it's easy to be so far removed from them that you aren't aware of what's actually going on. So he's done a nice job of walking the proverbial floor, which actually is what he does. But, you know, for some of us that are working virtually or have a virtual team or have employees scattered throughout the United States, figure out what your version of walking the floor looks like. Because it's harder when you can't walk around. You can't see the salespeople. You can't see the widgets being made. The key, the key word is connection in any way possible. The possible, if you do have remote employees, it's a digital connection. It's a quick Zoom call, a phone call, um, you know, virtual cup of coffee, uh, whatever it takes to connect with them. But that personal connection is critical. Yep. Well, another great episode. I know. Learned a lot. Great interview. Guys killing it. And absolutely. And if you have a chance, go over to Growth 10. Uh, Growth 10, the number 10. And uh, visit visit us. Look at what we do. Grab a grab a free book. 
sign up for a free book. Yeah, send you a free book. We, we sure will. So now we hope this is helpful for you. We hope everyone's learning things that they can go and apply to their business. Uh, if you ever need anything from us, have any questions, uh, Tom at growth10.com, Joe at growth10.com. And as always, thank you for listening and supporting the show. And we'll see you again next week on Thanks. Outside the Tank. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.